Welcome to another episode of the STEM Sessions podcast. I am your host, Cody Colborne. And yes, I'm trying out a new radio name. Let me know what you think. In summer of 2023, I enrolled in the California Naturalist Program. Now, this is a course designed and supported by the University of California system and taught by local environmental interest groups. Its intention is to develop more science educators to serve as docents and volunteers, and to just increase the science aptitude of the general population. My motive for taking the class was, first and foremost, to learn more about my state's ecology. Having lived here for nearly three decades, and I've, I've basically learned as I've went, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to learn from experts and their firsthand experience. My second motive was to gain the California Naturalist Certification for a project I'm working on. Unfortunately, neither of those goals worked out. I really didn't learn anything I didn't already know, and in some areas I had more first-hand experience than the experts who were teaching the class. And because of all that, the certification was really cheapened in my eyes. That said, one lesson I took away was the importance of keeping a field journal. Now, I've always done this in, in varying formats, but I've never done it consistently. And this class helped dial in a process for me uh, to the point where I'm actually writing entries uh, at least weekly. Eventually, I'd like to convert collections of entries into episodes for this podcast as they are very much relevant to my theme of backyard science. And I may also create an episode on, on detailing how I format my journal. This episode is one such entry, but it isn't about the plants and animals I observed or the weather. It's about why I quit the California Naturalist program. It wasn't the lack of learning that made me quit. I could have forced myself to finish if that was my only complaint. Instead, what made me quit and made me question the class's merits was a docent with a very unprofessional science communication skills. A docent, the group teaching the class, really talked up as being uh, an example of, of what a naturalist does. I felt that if this was the kind of person they once certified, then the program really wasn't for me. Now, while I've removed details that could be used to identify the docent and the group, the following is a near verbatim reading of the journal entry I wrote immediately upon returning from this docent's tour. This is the STEM Sessions Podcast Episode 24, Political Shots and Shoddy Science. Date, redacted. Location, redacted. Arrival time, 9 a.m. Departure time, 11.30 a.m. Weather, sunny skies with temperatures in the upper 70s to mid 80s and an inconsistent breeze. Distance walked, redacted. Elevation gain, Redacted. This morning, I attended a docent-led tour, part of the California Naturalist Program. This is tour number one of a two-tour pairing, after which we are to compare the presentation styles of the docents and the topics they covered. The point being to give examples of different ways of leading tours. And as such, this entry will focus on the docent and less on the observations I made while on the walk. Our docent was named Redacted. Uh, per his introduction, he approached his tours from the perspective of volunteer work, environmental topics, and leave-no-trace principles. All are topics I support, especially the latter. 
Unfortunately, he also invoked cheap political heat to drive home his points, and that really ruined the tour for me. I'm the first to admit that my politics are atypical of someone interested in a naturalist program. I strongly support issues pushed by Democrats, and I strongly support issues pushed by Republicans. But both parties annoy the hell out of me, and I refuse to be assigned a party label. Thus, I feel disenchanted by the entire messed up system. However, fanning the flames of polarization is not a value-added tool, in my opinion, especially when trying to teach. Taking shots at members of a, quote, certain political party of science deniers, unquote, only serves to further alienate the people. Plus, the docent should really just have the balls to say what he means. In two hours, our docent took five or six such shots. They served no purpose other than pandering to his echo chamber. If the goal is to educate and nudge people to your way of thinking, why immediately put them on the defensive? I mean, I lean right on some topics, left on others, and I feel the gross generalizations laud by both sides at the other are damaging to successful discourse. Now, putting aside the cheap political comments and the docent's weird obsession with hating on Florida, I found a lot of his science to be questionable as well. Uh, for example, he stated that humans are the only animals who are greedy, short-sighted, and selfish, and that's just an absurd statement. Observations and logic show the opposite. Humans are perhaps the only animal capable of caring for the population beyond their immediate family group. I mean, take a look at wolves. They take care of pack members, but still jockey for dominance within the pack. And they also fight other packs to claim territory and resources. I mean, heck, my two rabbits, who are spoiled rotten and devotedly bonded to each other, will still bicker over their breakfast pellets every morning because they can't understand that their food is not a scarce resource. Our docent also told apocryphal tales of how and when Black Mustard arrived in California, when he could have easily shared data and observations made in actual studies trying to answer that question. Adobe bricks from Spanish missions have been analyzed, and bricks made during and after the late 1700s contain seeds and pollen from black mustard plants, while bricks made earlier in that century do not. This shows black mustard was likely introduced in the mid to 1700s. Our docent's tale of introduction involves settlers planting it along the trails as they headed west so their cattle had something to eat. And that just seems very illogical to me since very few settlers traveled all the way to California in the 1700s. And when our docent spoke of the famous Long Beach earthquake of the early 20th century, he admitted he didn't know the exact date, but placed it in the 1920s. When another visitor who was walking by our group at the time stated it was in 1933, rather than looking it up on his phone, our docent doubled down on his assertion it was the 1920s. So I looked it up. It was 1933. And I corrected him. And he brushed it off as not being that important. I also found his talk of leave no trace to be in conflict with his actions. While at a large sage plant, he encouraged us to brace, break off a leaf or two and rub them in our hands to better smell the oils. Now, I realize that sage is plentiful and in no danger of becoming rare. In fact, it often needs to be trimmed back to keep it off trails. So a group of 10 people, each removing a sprig, is definitely not going to harm the plant long term. 
But what if the dozen or so people who observed us do the same on their next visit? And what if they share the process with others? What if they don't limit themselves to sage, but pick a more sensitive or more rare plant? Or heck, even a toxic plant like poison oak? There is absolutely personal judgment calls one makes when practicing Leave No Trace and engaging with nature. But the entire point of Leave No Trace is to prevent that type of compounding impacts. Just because one has completed a California naturalist program doesn't negate their potential impact as unintended as it may be. And this includes picking up wild animals for show and tell, which are docent admitted to doing frequently for groups of school kids. I'm now debating whether or not to continue with the program. I mean, they already have my money and it's too late for a refund, but I'm just completely soured on it. The cheap political shots bothered me and the shoddy science bothered me even more. I mean, should I even tell the organization my thoughts on the experience or just drop it? I mean, I am pretty heated at the moment, maybe too much to think clearly. I guess I just need to, to chew on it a bit. Okay, enough of the complaining. The highlight of the tour was seeing a California king snake. Now, I've only seen a king snake once or twice before, and certainly never as close as this one was. Based on its size, it was a younger one, probably born uh, the year before. It slithered across the trail in no hurry to get anywhere about 200 feet from the footbridge. I also hosted a hitchhiker for a bit on the tour in the form of a fig eater beetle. I allowed it to crawl on my pants until it tried to get under my shirt, and then I decided it needed to uh, find another host. So, species observed for this trip. The California kingsnake, or Lampropeltis californae, and yes, my scientific name pronunciation is horrible and will always be horrible, and the fig-eater beetle, most likely Cotinus mutabilis. Thank you for listening to this episode of the STEM Sessions podcast. It was researched, written, and produced by Cody Colborn. Show notes can be found at thestemsessions.com, and feedback and corrections are always welcome. If you received value from this episode and wish to give some back, please visit thestemsessions.com slash value for value for ways to support the podcast. And please remember, STEM belongs to everyone. We should not allow it to be siloed or gatekept by experts, policymakers, or talking heads. Bias is found in every message, so always verify what you read and what you're told. Until the next episode, stay curious.